God made the universe, and now we are making a metaverse. This is a huge transition point from our lives being saturated with tech to our lives existing in a tech world. What even is the metaverse? There are many promises that come with this, promises of connection, engagement, and experience. But will it make us more or less like the humanity that God created us to be? The Bible does speak about the metaverse, not directly, it doesn't call it out by name, but it does give us some principles of what it means to be human and how we are to live. Today we're going to talk about the metaverse. We're going to figure out what it is, we're going to figure out how to engage in it as it slowly encroaches upon our lives. Joel, what is the metaverse? Can you help me understand it, please? The Probably the easiest definition is that it's a simulated digital environment. Um, there's a lot of technology that goes into creating this digital environment that you can interact with or in, um, like AR, augmented reality, VR, there's blockchain. Um, but there's really a gradient for the metaverse. It was actually coined by uh, Neil Stevenson, who wrote about it in his 1992 novel, Snow Crash. So a lot of um, creators have been talking about this concept of a metaverse, which is really another um, domain where we can go and interact with. You've heard in um, Marvel of a multiverse, which is kind of like multiple universes. So this is just another concept of instead of a whole universe, um, it's just like a digital uh, realm that we can go and participate in. So it's it's specifically a place like Reddit. You go to and you can interact with people on Reddit. It's text only, or I guess images as well. And this is similar to that. It's like going to a website. Yeah, Except yeah. It's that's, that's exactly what what it is. I think like the the distinction that people are just trying to make with this concept of the metaverse is that it's more immersive than just going to a website. So going to a website, you are sitting in front of a computer or on your phone, you hit the URL and you go to the website and you can interact with the things on that website. Um, and the metaverse aims to just bring it to another level where you actually feel more, yeah, like part of that realm. So more immersed. So actually like you're physically or you feel this presence of being in the website rather than just viewing the website from afar. And I think that's really the transition that um, people are, are going to want to understand. Okay. So I've done VR, like I've done virtual reality. You go to this place, you put on these heavy goggles, um, and then you have these controllers in your hand and you interact with the world. It, it was very much like in a, a video game, definitely way more immersive than a normal video game. Like you kind of dream about it afterwards and it, you, you're almost disoriented coming out of it in the same way that like you're on a cruise ship or whatever, you get off that cruise ship and you're like, oh, okay, stable ground again. It feels kind of like that. Like you're, because you're all your visuals are consumed, not just by a small screen in front of you, but everything around you, you look around and you're part of this universe. So it, it is immersive. Like, I think that's just the reality of it. It is the, the next extension of how we connect, even though we're not physically with each other. Yeah. And it's going to be a gradient as we continue to progress there. Like you, the, the most famous one is the movie called ready player one, where you, 
the the person, the protagonist in the show puts on this like gear that transports them to this virtual world. And they actually like all of their senses are now integrated. So you can like smell and touch and feel. Um, but what we're probably going to start with is more about the visual. We'll see a couple technologies come into the space where they're going to say like, oh, we figured out a way to simulate touch or we figured out a way to simulate smell. And that could be anything from, you know, recreating the feeling of touch on your fingers or in your hands, like giving you grip and pressure. Or it could be, you know, all the way to the extreme of like um, Elon Musk's Neuralace project where you're actually sending neural impulses to your brain to register these feelings. Um, and that's like, you know, very in the future type thing, but it's being worked on now. Um, so there's definitely a gradient. Um, and in, I would say, yeah, the next few years, we're going to come, we're going to see a lot more players come out with pretty impressive technology. Um, like if you've tried VR today, like you said, it's like, oh, it's already pretty good where you actually put the headset on and you feel like you're in this other world and you have this, um, you know, back in the day, people used to get nauseous because the screen movement wouldn't line up with the movement your body felt, you know, in your inner ear. So that disconnect, your body would be like, oh, I've been poisoned, should feel nauseous, throw up because like something's off. And that's kind of, you know, how we've developed that trigger of nausea. But now the newer headsets within the last year, two years, they don't have that element of nausea because everything's syncing a lot better. So yeah, we're really going to like keep going on this gradient of like creating these more realistic experiences. Mm -hmm. And it might get to a point where because of the improved sensations in this virtual world, people will enjoy that more than reality. Like, like in the movie Inception, where they go into a dream state and then they just want to stay in the dream state because they can do all the things that they want in the dream state. So they want to stay there. Or in Ready Player One, I think the, the uh, story ends with, in order to make this not so addictive, we're going to reduce it to only five days a week that you're allowed to engage in it. Um, it's interesting that, that even in a, in a movie, like people are kind of afraid of how much this will overtake if we we've already tricked our brain to be hyped up on dopamine because of the little red number one or number two or number three you know we want to see that that notification then we click on it we get that hit of what that notification meant you know like zuckerberg said you know he loves psychology he he studies human nature he studies all this stuff in order to take advantage of it for the sake of bettering the company this is the future is basically companies taking advantage of knowledge about us more than most people know about themselves and then getting us to be addicted to their technology so that they make money. Like that is the future, right? Like they're going to want us to pay for their products um, in order to enter into virtual reality or enter into the metaverse. Yeah. There's definitely like a, <clears throat> a commerce part of it, right? Like people are creating these spaces so they can, sell you something ultimately like you know nike makes shoes so that you could sell or you could buy their shoes nike's making shoes in the metaverse right and they now. and they're making shoes in the metaverse yes um but they're you know they're why making... who would buy that i don't i don't want digital shoes isn't that dumb right yeah no i think like 
so yeah, there's a lot of games and a lot of the predi- predictions on the metaverse are based on its most popular use case right now, which is gaming. So there's, you know, there's Minecraft, right? Which are is super popular amongst young kids. Roblox is another big company. They've, they've gone public and basically it's just one game that they've gone public with that people can create environments in. And it's just like a virtual environment. And a lot of the younger kids are, are playing on that right now. And so, how do they make money? Um, yeah, so um, people can purchase digital content. So if you have an avatar and you want to dress your avatar with cool clothes, you'd be able to buy uh, the clothes that you want for your avatar. And it's kind of tapping into the psyche of why do people buy clothes? You know, why do people buy name brand clothes in the real world um, when you could just wear like, you know, a, a white t-shirt, right? And it's part of showing and, and expressing your character and your personality. So I think that same sort of psyche is going to translate into the metaverse, which is why people are like, yeah, I'm going to buy Nikes because I'm a Nike hype guy and I'm going to want to portray that personality in the virtual world with my friends. And also in the physical world, when I go show them my like, you know, Air Force Ones and classics and stuff and some of that culture that I'm able to share as part of my personality and character. And, and I think this, yeah, this basically touches on what you mentioned. People are going to want to spend time in the metaverse as opposed to real life, but that's not unique to the metaverse. Like you said, and today in social media, there are a lot of people spending time on social media rather than connecting with people in real life. Um, so it's already exposing, you know, the psychology of people today and where they focus their energy based on where they get dopamine from. So if their friends are in the metaverse and they get like that enjoyment of hanging out with their friends in the metaverse, they're going to want to spend time there. You know, and this was really evident over the pandemic rather than being at home, you know, disconnected. Hmm. Yeah. I think the, the clothing metaphor is helpful um, because that is a technology that we already experience today and have changed our experience of clothing over time with the trends of the age. So is the metaverse just another trend? And I think it's ignorant for Christians to say, well, the metaverse is just wrong because it's not real. Therefore, I will never engage with it because we can't avoid as Christians being part of our modern context. Like we just can't avoid it. We, we're, we're embodied creatures that live in a place and there might be a time when just like Zoom calls are so prevalent today and so mm. are phone calls even. So too, will there perhaps be a day where that that's coming as well? Um, and this is something that I picked up from a recent podcast from uh, Grace in Common. So there are four theologians from four different countries and they talk through the, the neo-Calvinism tradition. And so they, they have to say this. But also, you know, read uh, Robert Cavolo's work on fashion theology. The fact that we're using suits and we're wearing suits to teach to formal events, things like that. That's a very modern way of thinking. People didn't used to dress like that in you know, 16th century, 17th century Geneva. The modern suit is a reflective of an enlightenment way of inhabiting the world. And it has particular philosophical ideological roots. And those, I think, who still want to go for representation are still wearing suits. They're still writing with the sense of, I need to write in a scholarly, respectable sort of way. 
uh, in terms of rigor and things like that. And so I think what Bavink would often say is that there's a certain naivete to denying modernity with a, with a, with a small m. And, and there's a sort of um, naivete to just say, let's go back to the past. Because if you're living to today, God has given you these conditions and you are not a blank slate. You're always within and, and embedded within, embodiedly within a particular context. Yeah, that, so that book, um, Fashion Theology by Robert Cavolo, I, I found that section on the invention of the modern suit so fascinating as well. In Scotland, if you wear a dark suit to church, that's one of the like, the social identity markers that says that you are a very conservative Christian who probably doesn't think that modernity is a very good thing. And yet the suit was invented in the French Revolution. Um, so it doesn't go very far back in history and um, has a very distinct mod- uh, like modern history. So essentially, they're saying you can't avoid the modern age that you live in. You can't avoid whether or not there's a doorbell as a common way to interact with people in the home or something to knock on the door. You can't avoid if all of a sudden the metaverse is the common way for people to have meetings for their workplace. Like, it's not fundamentally wrong to use the technology and the clothing and the styles of the place you're living in. Yeah, no, that's really, it's really a good point because there are some people who are like, okay, we're not going to use cell phones and cars, right? We're going to use horse-drawn carriage. We're Amish, we're Mennonite. We're going to stick to these like traditional ways, but they are definitely like the small percentage. And it doesn't seem like there's, at least in my view, any like biblical backing for taking that, you know, um, not going to use the technology of the time. Well, now, <laughs> now we get to the interesting <laughs> part, because I do want to bring up the positives first <clears throat> before critiquing aspects of what the metaverse could do. Because um, I do think there's positives, but I think we need to understand why it's positive. We, we should still question whether or not we should use technology. I just want to say up front that there should be a default position that God is the God of all technology. God is the God of all history. He's not surprised by Zoom calls. Like He knew that was coming. He knows what forms the metaverse will take before any tech CEO here on earth does. So because God is, is the creator of all things and is kind of understanding um, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. Um, we just we shouldn't be surprised by technology, but we should still be reflective of our use of it. So how do we determine our use of, of different technologies? I think we would have a better conversation right now, me and you, Joel, if we were together in person. Yeah, Why? I agree. Uh, just a feeling like, yeah, sometimes I interrupt you. We don't have that feeling of presence of being together and that allows us to have um, better context better nuances to understand each other's body cues and really connect on a, on a deeper level yeah so there's just that that understanding and we all feel it we all felt it during the pandemic when we couldn't see each other as often it's uh, you know the the proof is in the pudding is the is the 
way of talking about these things, right? Like, obviously, there's something different about being together in person and truly inhabiting the same space and sharing the same smells and sharing the same food and not questioning whether the smell you're smelling is because of a bug in the system you're using or it's truly the smell that the other person is smelling. Um, you know, like Christianity has this basis of embodiment. It, it really is important to Christianity yeah, to no, be together in person, right? Like, people are very serious about um, taking communion in person, right? That's like one of the hot topics. Yeah, of course it is, because what are you doing taking communion online, clicking a button? Like, I'm sorry, that was just not what Jesus taught. Um, and, and I think one of the common things figuring out the importance of meeting together is the passage in Hebrews about like, do not neglect gathering together. Um, but there's also like, you take a look at books of the Bible, like second John and third John, they are so short. Why? They're like pretty much an extended text message. Like second John, it doesn't even have chapters because it's so short. Nobody's heard a sermon series on it, but maybe we should. It's literally 13 verses. And in verse 12, it says this, I have much to write to you. Okay, then why is it only 12? Why is it only 13 verses, right? I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Right? Because the author understands there's a difference. Now that said, as I'm talking about the importance of embodiment, is it not the case that the metaverse will do a better job of creating more sense of connection than it is, yeah. paper and pen? It is honestly, it's something that I personally struggle with as like a tech futurist. Um, is like, you know, if you're 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 talking about this like highly dystopian future where we can't physically, you know, be in the same room but all our senses feel like we're in the same room, then would that qualify, right? Like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's like that common um, game, theory of, game theory of like we're living in a simulation. And it's like, you can't tell it's a simulation because it's so perfect. Like you wouldn't know what a non-simulation is like. The whole concept of the movie, The Matrix, right? Um, so it's this interesting thing is like, if technology can get to a point where you feel like exactly the same then you know what is it just a technicality at that point um you know could could you, yeah yeah that's kind of something i'm wrestling with right now well well no it's not just a technicality i mean it's going to be different you can't just say just because it feels different it is not different it's not that god felt like he came to earth it's that he really did come to earth we can't just give up on our tradition the apostles creed that jesus you know was born um we can't just give up on that he died in history under pontius pilate you know you can't give up on these essential matters of faith about being embodied in real history and act like that's just different than or, or it's not different, act like that's the same thing as some metaverse reality. So I think we just need to distinguish what is truly real and what might feel real in the moment, but isn't actually real. And, and I don't think we can really truly say that the, the technology is there to get us at a point where we'll ever 
the technology get us to a point where it doesn't feel any different. I don't think the technology will even get there. And so this goes to something that Andy Crouch has wrote, written about in his latest book, The Life We're Looking For. And he's he's trying to define for us, what does it mean to be human? And so I'll just play a clip from a recent podcast that he did um, in talking about the book. So, you know, what is it to be a person? There's a lot of different ways to think about this, but I think it's really interesting to go back to what Jesus called the great, the greatest commandment. And by the way, it was like the least original thing Jesus ever said, because every Jewish rabbi would agree. What's the greatest commandment? Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's how Jesus recounts it, at least. And and I think this, this fourfold quality of heart, soul, mind, strength is really uh, powerful and informative, like uh, what it is to be a person, in my view, um, drawing on on this text from De- Deuteronomy, is to be a heart, soul, mind, strength, complex, designed for love. You're designed to love the Lord your God, and you're designed to love your neighbor. Um, and what do you love with? You love with heart, which is emotion and will, desire leading to will. You love with soul, which is depth of self and the cultivation of a kind of um, depth of the self such that there's a deep to call to other deeps. You love with mind, which is the rational capacity to think through and interpret and analyze the world. And then with strength, which is our bodily kind of constitution, that we're not brains on sticks, we're not, but we're not bodies without minds. We're not emotion without reason. You know, you can do all the permutations. And I think good human life is lived with this allness of all four. Um, So the really interesting thing about technology is how rarely it affords us the opportunity even just to exercise all four. So when you think about how basically for the convenience of computers, we interact with our computers almost entirely through screens. This is largely because we couldn't figure out a better, we, we just didn't have the technology to create a better way. But this um, locks all of us into chairs, mostly, maybe standing desks, <laughs> but basically imprisons us um, in a way that human beings have never been. Like when people wanted to think in the ancient world, they went for a walk, usually with another person. You thought by walking, the peripatetic philosophers, right? What did they do? They walked and they talked. Now we sit and we are absorbed in a glowing rectangle and our strength, our body is idle. There's also the question of what, what am I developing? And I think here technology is even worse, that it gives us very few ways to actually uh, develop my heart. So to, to increase my capacity for emotional resonance with the world, to develop my soul, to actually deepen my sense of self. You know, you can do all, all, of, all four and realize, boy, most of our technology, it just isn't even set up to do that. Because what we find kind of intoxicating about it is the way it disengages us. We we delight, at least initially, when we see something sort of operating on its own without us. In the book, I talk about the sorcerer's apprentice, the broom that just goes and fetches the water for us. I'm like, gosh, I have I kind of have one of those. I have a Roomba. You know, it's like a, a magical broom. It doesn't actually work as well as I dreamed it would when I bought it, but it works. No, it does just, not. <laughs> it's disappointing, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, uh, <laughs> and it is a terror to pets. <laughs> and the pets... <laughs> but I, I keep it around because it's just effective enough, um, you know, and and there's this thrill, especially when you first buy the thing. You're like, oh, it's moving by itself. It's figuring out how to vacuum by itself. I'm, I'm relieved of burdens. And this promise of relief of burdens is a big part of why we adopt technology. But what we're actually signing up for in the same moment is a disengagement from the world. And I'm no longer using my strength to clean my home. 
Uh, now, maybe I feel like that's a good trade, but when we make that trade over and over, we end up um, robbed of the opportunities to actually become someone different from what we are because the things are doing their thing. So so he, he goes into a lot there, and obviously he's trying to summarize points from his book. But to be human is to have these four capacities to love with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. To reduce us to just one of those four would reduce who we are as persons and who we were created to be and to develop into. So how much does the metaverse engage us on all four of those levels? And does it do that well? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think, you know, compared to his analysis of using a computer, the metaverse is a step in the right direction because it's going to engage more of, you know, those four aspects. It can even engage your body if we do create the metaverse where it's like a thing that you physically have to move your body to do things in the metaverse, right? Um, So I think, yeah, like it's a step in the right direction in that sense. And I think, I I don't know, a lot of uh, what he said is something that I'm not 100% on the same page with in the sense that like, um, if you have like assistive robotics, that's going to help you lift a box that you weren't able to lift with before. Right. So you're using less of your strength. Like, is that, is that really a bad thing? Um, so I, I think, yeah, there's like definitely a lot of nuance um, to, to unpack. Okay. Well, let's go into that. Cause I think that's helpful to figure out. It's obviously different. The development of you and I and our friendship over time compared to you just meeting someone on Facebook, clicking friend accept, and the ease of which you could reach a category of friend through uh, online means versus the effort and the ups and downs that you and I have had to go through. There's, There's something different between doing something that requires effort and then reaching the outcome versus just having that thing granted to you at the click of a button. Yeah. So like, you know, using that example, really, it's like coming back to creation where we were told we're going to toil the earth, you know, to, to eat. Right. And it's like, okay, back in that day, we literally had to like use like these really archaic tools, like a shovel made from bones or something like that. And then now we've come all the way where you're sitting in a tractor or like some automated equipment that you can really like do that without using as much physical labor. And it's not that you're not doing anything. It's more so that your effort point has shifted. So you're instead of actually physically, let's say, digging a hole, you're now more constrained or or more focused on um, what mental acuity do you need to operate this machine and, you know, like do it properly. Um, So for me, I don't see one as inherently worse um i think provided you have the caveat of like okay like yeah like what is it doing to your physical health right like if you are sedentary obviously that's like not good um but are there other places where you would change your effort to compensate for that that's a super helpful point joel because i don't think we want to say that just because some things require more effort therefore they're good and the things that require less effort are bad. It's not that simple binary. We got to we gotta think about just the trade-offs because 
if we think about it, like the relationships that we have in life tend to be the ones that are in person, the ones that require more effort than the just clicks to get a friend on Facebook online. You know, the friends we have in person are just fundamentally different than the ones online. And it doesn't have the influence of technology impacting your dopamine every other second. Like you're not seeing, oh, you just talked to another person, increase life point as if you're in some Sims game, right? Like I, I do worry as technology encroaches on our development as a species. Uh, like if you think about your children going into elementary school and using technology in order to learn, and then everything becomes so seamless to hit that dopamine so quickly, we actually lose our, like, sure, you learn faster, less effort, great, superpower, great. But then what does that take away? It takes away your ability to sit and read a book for more than an hour. When's the last time people in our day were able to literally just sit down and read something without their phone? And most people read on their phone. I'm guilty of this too. You know, I'm like, I'm more of an auto audio listener of books than a reader of books. And I find myself getting so, you know, impatient with books, even though I know I should read them. Um, but that we need, we need to develop, period. We need to develop as humans. That's what we were supposed to do. And that's going to take time. It's going to take process. It's going to take effort. Um, but that's a good thing to pursue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing to think about. Like, there are definitely trade-offs, you know, with adopting technology. And I think um, with the invention of, like, you know, let's say writing, you know, taking it a step back. Before, you would have to have this wide, expansive memory to recount all stories verbally. And, like, people would do that. And then when writing came along, it's like, oh, I don't actually have to use that part of my brain as much because I can write it down. And just look and reference it for later. So I think, you know, like there, there's definitely a series of trade-offs and it has been happening, you know, for humanity as we continue to develop technology that God obviously has like created. And like you said, he's not surprised about it. Like he's, he's created physics and everything that we use to reveal kind of his glory. Um, so I think, yeah, like it's just a matter of, for us as Christians evaluating that trade-off and saying like, okay, like, yeah, let's say I'm going to use this technology and that means I'm going to be less physical. Like how do I um, make up for that shortfall, right? In another area uh, to kind of pursue this goal of, you know, being a well-balanced human or, or the life that kind of God has called us to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just worry about a a hyper reduction of the four categories to times of the day um, so that now you're developing your mind with your devotional time and then you're going to develop your heart with like a time with your spouse or a devotional time with God too. Um, it, it's, it's like um, machines. He actually uses this in the book, but I learned it in my kinesiology degree as well. Like going to the gym and using machines is just stupid. <laughs> Because you only develop one muscle group at a time rather than free rate weights, free weights, or like just being active and doing the activity you're supposed to be doing is going to develop you in more of a holistic way and actually prevent inju injury and make you more agile to do more types of things. 
So if you so reduce and think that you're going to reduce your ability to develop, you're like, oh, I know these four things. Here's exactly how I'm going to hit this, 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 and this. Well, first of all, you're not you're not overlapping enough. Like I, I think there's something good about walking through a grocery store as opposed to getting click and collect groceries. Like, like uh, I'm, I'm going to be old school on this. I'm going to try to overlap the body, soul, spirit thing instead of so, uh, so reducing them. But all that yeah. said, I'm like, I'm still pro technology. That's why I wanted to start with like, we live in a modern world. I can't be ignorant of that. I need to use it. Like, I don't think it's going to be, realistic for me to get rid of my phone um because i need it for certain things um which is more yeah but no i think i I think you made a really good point on um like uh we're not well the crossfit example and for the record i don't think you're sponsored by crossfit maybe you're an advocate for crossfit but that whole concept of like you know lifting free weights and focusing on one muscle group versus doing like real world exertion which does multiple muscle groups and there's that whole kind of argument in favor of crossfit for those reasons because it's more practical than a leg press for example um exercise so i think that like analogy does carry over um to this concept of technology making us only like you know okay we're we're gonna i'm already in the state where it's like for eight hours a day i'm sitting or standing at my computer um, doing my work rather than like, you know, earlier in my career, when I was working on actual vehicles, I would have to walk a lot. I'd have to like move things and like take things off of a car and build things. And I was really using my hands like, you know, four or five hours a day. And now I'm, I'm really just sitting behind a computer. So I think that trade-off, it does come. And then you end up falling into the situation where you have to like make up for in other areas. Um, and that's definitely a risk and concern. Maybe the advantage though, like the opposite argument is that like being able to focus your energy into one channel can maybe allow you to be more effective. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying it's necessarily true. Um, but if, yeah, like you spend one hour of intentionally working out, is that more effective than like eight hours of going for a walk? I don't know. That, but that's sort of like the gist of what I'm, I'm trying to think through. Yeah, I think, I mean, I saw Brad East comment on Andy Crouch's book, and he kind of said a lot of what he's describing is great from a theoretical level, but practically it's very difficult for most people to live out. Like, what what does this actually look like um, for the common person, um, for for normies, like, is, <laughs> is, the, is the word that he used. Um, but yeah, like, I think, I think going back to, like, the metaverse concept in general, this idea of of creating a representation of yourself in another realm that that exists on Facebook and that the consumeristic, individualistic, um, the I create my own identity abstracted from any physical reality. Um, that's what the metaverse is going to be um, in all likelihood. And it, it will do something to us when we are constantly thinking about okay, who do I want to be today? You know, not just the clothing, but who, like, what people will be able to change their skin color in the, right. in the metaverse. Yep. Don't, don't we have an issue with that? Like people <laughs> representing themselves apart from their physical characteristics um, 
which which I do think, I mean, it's funny in our modern age, people would be okay with some things like gender being changed into the metaverse, but other things like skin color not. And I would ask them to be, uh, to reflect on the consistency of that and to reflect on the significance of our, of our physical selves, um, that we were created um, to be physical in the world. Um, and there's a value to that. Now, there's there's pros and cons and i'm not trying to be all anti metaverse that's why i've i've kept adding caveats as i've gone through <laughs> you know paul says in first corinthians that he's spiritually present with them what's he saying there that's kind of ridiculous right for him to say that you know though i'm absent in the body i'm present in spirit for my part even though i am not physically present i am with you in spirit sir there is some aspects of scripture that make you say, well, there's a spiritual significance that doesn't need the physical. Um, but I don't think we can discount the importance of the physical uh, representations of who God made us to be, short, tall, white, black. Every, every aspect of who we are physically is a part of how God made you um, and shouldn't be discounted. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Like I think on the physical representation like this, <clears throat> digital self is already happening today. I think like most of us have Facebook and Instagram and we have this like digital version of ourselves, which maybe in the beginning was like pretty much similar to, to who you are now. But as society has gone on, your digital self has likely diverged. Maybe it's a little bit more polished. Maybe it has like a little bit, um, I don't know, filters for Instagram and like physically it does look different. And now with this like next level of metaverse, we're, we're unlocking a new capability of how much more that divergence can can grow right where it's like like you said instead of just like facial filters and stuff like that you can change how you're you're choosing to represent yourself every day um from skin color and stuff like that and i yeah i think like you know we used to maybe be uncomfortable changing hair color and then that became quite normalized and the question is like okay like well skin color follow that trajectory um because right now yes like skin color does have like a lot of um meaning based on the society we live in but at some point will it just be a matter of preference because you know it, it won't be as critical and, and i'm thinking like you know 100 years in the future i don't know um but no those are definitely good points to to think about there is an irony that in video games you have the, the language of skins, right? Yeah. What skins yeah. am I going to purchase and then put on for the experience of this game? And uh, it, it's just something that I think deserves some reflection. Also, the consumer um, aspect of it, the fact that so much of this will be money-driven. Um, and just like we saw the development of Facebook, I think we're seeing this with Elon Musk and Twitter discussions of like, wouldn't it be better if the monetization strategy weren't based upon um, advertising? If the metaverse is based around advertising, we know that that will lead to um, uh, a desire. We we know that if there's on if it's driven by advertising, we know that then it's going to be driven to keep us on those metaverse devices as often yeah. as possible to see yeah. more ads. And that means they're going to develop it for addiction purposes. And that's just a dangerous thing, just like Twitter by it 
like you, if you use Twitter, you need to heavily curate what you're using it for, or else it'll be a destructive force in your life. Um, so anyways, it's, it's, there's all these trade-offs as we're saying, right. It's not yeah. easy to navigate. <clears throat> and I think, so this is my appeal really to any technologist listening to the podcast is like, we need smart people to lean into creating this technology. Right. And I think ultimately if you sit back and you say, well, like, uh, maybe it's an area that is a little gray and I don't know if I should get involved in, then we lose the ability to contribute with our voice and our perspectives. And then that like may be missed. And I think, you know, a lot of social media, we didn't have this understanding of like the impacts it would have to our society. And like, I'm hoping that with the metaverse, we're being more intentional about like how we create the incentive structures and how that will affect us. And it's but that's like, not going to happen, Joel. You know what's going to happen? Some Silicon Valley tech company is going to do what every tech company does, and they're going to say, ship it. Is that not the mindset? They're not going to reflect on the ethical impacts. It'll be the first to market who will win, right? Yeah, yes and no. I think like maybe what we have to do is like create a better way uh, in capitalism to reward the solutions that we want to succeed. And what I mean by that is like, if you look at like the Twitter example, for example, for the last seven years, Twitter has been actually hovering around the same price is mostly kind of like stagnated compared to its peers. And that means the, the market forces don't and had not believed in Twitter's approach, their advertising structure and stuff like that. And now with Elon taking it public, he's saying, okay, we, we plan to, you know, double revenue within a few years. Um, and that's by changing the incentive structure. So I think to combat, you know, a Silicon Valley company going to market with an advertising structure, what needs to happen is that valuations based on advertising revenue alone have to be less exciting, right? And we as like capital markets and like maybe people with more money than normies like me and you, um, those VCs will be saying like, hey, like, yeah, advertising actually doesn't pay out as it used to. It's not as much, it's not as lucrative. So like what are other business models like subscriptions, right? And those type of things that are healthier for society. Um, like, you know, ESG is a big thing um, in- What's ESG? Investing. Um, ESG stocks are kind of category of stocks called environmental, social, and corporate governance. So those type of stocks are kind of like investing in renewables rather than a combustion because you're focused on the impact it has to our planet. Um, or in investing in companies that are making access to capital easier for people who don't have access to a bank. So that's like the social aspect. So these sort of companies are like in the last few years becoming more prized and promoted because as a society, our generation values that more than the previous generation, which maybe was focused more on just profits. So kind of to, to bring that full circle, that's just my point on like, do I, do I, I have some hope that future technology will have the voting mechanics and incentive structures to be better for, for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is hope, hopeful, but it's also kind of like, do we have moral clarity in a time like 
2022 on what's right and wrong? Or is it becoming more and more difficult to find agreement on moral issues in our day? I, I'm hopeful that some areas could could build that up, but then we could also get into like China's social credit score system and there's a whole there's a whole bunch of tangents we could go on with this. I have two 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 closing thoughts. The first is like the um, relation between the metaverse and the church. And I think the metaverse is not the place where a church can gather on a Sunday. I'd say there's four tiers of what you could believe about the church and its gathering and how important it, how important it is. The first tier would be the nine marks approach. Um, and uh, like Mark Dever would be the main leader there. And he would say the only way you can gather is in person together. He's anti multi-site, anti multiple services. Even it's like, if you are a church, you meet together. The word ecclesia in the Bible means ecclesia. It means gathering. It doesn't mean called out ones. Um, the second tier would be more of an approach where like, yeah, you're onto something there where there's an importance to the gathering, but the church is also referred to in the New Testament, not just in local terms, but in universal terms and terms about all throughout Corinth. Um, and so it doesn't seem like it's just the gathered assembly. Um, it seems like it also could include multiple different units, um, throughout a, throughout a, uh, location. Um, so we shouldn't be so tight on that, but there's, there's some openness to it, um, to that argument. That's kind of the tier that I'm in. The third tier would be, well, whatever, doesn't matter if you're in person or not, as long as you gather. And I think those types of churches will start creating online spaces for gathering on Sunday, like some already are doing. And the fourth, fourth tier, I had to add it because I almost forgot it, is the tier that just doesn't care as a Christian about gathering together, period. And they're completely ignorant of what the New Testament teaches about this stuff. And I don't say ignorant in a derogatory way. I just mean like you lack the knowledge of what the New Testament says, or you are in complete opposition to the teachings of Jesus in relation to this. Jesus taught on the church. Um, the New Testament is filled with teaching on this. We're supposed to be a body of Jesus together, united. So you can't just ignore that. So anyways, that's just a quick thing there. But that's about the church gathering. The second thing I want to say is that regardless of whether or not you gather there on a Sunday as a church, as your core meeting, there's tremendous opportunity in the metaverse for missions. Talk about global missions and reaching unreached people groups. If they are connected with technology, then there might be some opportunity there. And that's like one point that we didn't even get into that I definitely want to kind of like surface is AR or even more realistically VR can allow people to experience, let's say like the Holy Land experience, but in virtual reality or like go and see the footsteps that like Jesus had walked and have kind of like a more um, immersive feeling than just reading the text on the page, kind of like talking back to, you know, text was like a poor technology for really like getting a sense. So like the metaverse is going to really improve that ability for us to, to go through those experiences and enrich the, the emotions that people feel as they start like looking through the Bible. Yeah, that's a good point, because even something like the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you have these chapters of scripture that are dedicated to describing how it is to be created. And I've, you know, gone through those and been like, 
just Google me a picture, right? Because yeah. that's just so much easier to understand it. And then I can make sense of it. I mean, the people living, they had those things that they were pointing to. And then, I don't know, I, I think there's a lot of power there. So yeah, there's there's huge opportunity for the metaverse. And I think every time we use it, we'll need to ask ourselves, am I using it to love God? with my heart, soul, mind, strength? Am I using it to love my neighbor in the same way? Um, or am I using it in a selfish way or in a blind way? And, and frankly, we should be asking that question even when we pick up a cell phone or when we pick up a shirt to wear. Like all technology does need to be evaluated and we need to be careful about it, but we need to engage with it for the good of God and the good of others. Yeah, some great conversations today, man. Yeah, well, this has been WWJT. I'm Andrew. I'm Joel. And we'll talk to you later. By the way, the show notes for this podcast are available. You can check that out. And if you guys think that this was a valuable thing to listen to, feel free to share someone else's podcast because I don't think we're that valuable. So you got to (laughs) listen to other podcasts because there's other things we're sharing and by the way, other podcasts could really use you, like giving them five stars and stuff like that. Don't give us five stars yet. Let let us get bigger first, like organically. I don't want you to do anything for our podcast yet because we need to prove ourselves first. But there's other good podcasts out there and there's other good books. So go read those books. Go, go listen to good podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you later. See ya. <laughs>